As Duncan said, my name is Tim, part of one of the teams that leads Grace Church, and we're continuing our series in the book of 1 Samuel. Um, we'll be in chapter 16, if you have a Bible and want to turn to that, but everything we're looking at will uh, appear up on the screens either side of me. Um, just to kind of fill us in on, on some of the background, or for those of us who kind of not, maybe not been following all the way along, um, we are jumping into the middle of a story where there's a king in Israel called Saul who's recently been rejected by God, and there's a prophet, a guy who hears from God on behalf of, sorry, hears from God on behalf of Israel, speaks to Israel, called Samuel, who is pretty upset about that. Uh, he's the one who chose Saul. He's the one who uh, picked him out with God's help um, and has tried to lead him along. And he's now grieving over the fact that Saul has fallen out of the purpose of God. And we're going to pick up the story in, uh, in verse 1 of chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him? from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And without getting into all the, um, the kind of intricacy of it, Samuel is terrified by that call, um, full of fear, and God calms him and suggests some ways to make it a little bit easier. Uh, and then he arrives in Bethlehem, and everyone in Bethlehem is terrified by the fact that Samuel's turned up. Uh, because they have an inkling what he might be about to do. But he kind of manages again to calm them and gathers this guy called Jesse and his family. And then we're going to pick up the story uh, in the second half of verse 5. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab, that's Jesse's eldest son, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, that's his next son, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these, at which point Samuel's starting to worry that he's made it all up. Um, and then Samuel said to Jesse, are all of your sons here? And he said, well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. So Samuel arrives uh, where God's told him to go, uh, gathers this family that he's been sent to gather, and is told it's going to be one of the sons of this guy, Jesse. So it does probably the natural thing, which is ask to meet them. Um, and Jesse gathers them all out in front of him, and he looks at the oldest one and thinks, my word, he's very tall. It's probably him, which might sound a bit odd, but uh, Saul, throughout the book, the, the current king, has been described as being really tall. Um, and he's, he's taller than anyone else in Israel. He's a strong warrior as a result. So it kind of makes sense that Samuel would look at the guy and think, he's tall. Maybe he could do He's a bit like Saul. So maybe, maybe he could be the new guy. And then God speaks to him and says, no, it's, it's not him. 
He thinks, okay, okay, well, well probably the next one. But let's, let's have a look. He looks at the next guy, not him. Next one, not him. Next one, not him. Next one, not him. Gets all the way through seven different sons of Jesse, and I'm sure is beginning to fill with despair, wondering what on earth he's got himself into. That sense of thinking, did I really hear God? <laughs> it's like now, Samuel knows what he's talking about. He's, he's an old man by this point. He's been hearing God for his entire life. And still, I'm sure, would have been had that little niggling, did he really say, am I doing the right thing? And then, having looked at every single one and been told by God that that's not the guy, and feeling like a bit of a prize fool, turns to Jesse and says, have you got any more sons? Which is, yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. And I imagine he felt pretty stupid saying it. Have you got any more sons? Like he would have left someone out. Like when asked to bring all his sons, he would have left one behind. Um, it's, I don't know what, what else to say. It's, it's maybe as silly as, we went to a restaurant or something, and um, you, know, you sit down, you're given the menu, you're having a look through, and you're thinking, I don't know if I want any of this. I'm not sure I like any of these things. Um, I don't know what kind of restaurant this is, but anyway, you, for whatever reason, you don't like any of it. The server comes over and asks what you'd like to eat, and you're sort of not really sure what to say. And so you say, have you, have you got any more options? <laughs> it's not, I mean, there must be, I don't know, are there restaurants out there where they have a secret menu that you only get if you've, <laughs> you only get if you've asked for it? Maybe there are. I've not, I've not found one, but um, sounds like fun, actually. But... <laughs> Or, or, I don't know, I imagine there probably are places out there that would cook what you asked for, but it'd be an unusual kind of place. You'd feel pretty silly. So have you got any, have you got any other food? And you probably wouldn't get a very good reaction. But that's basically what he says. If you've got any other sons, and yet somehow it turns out actually that Jesse has. He hasn't done what somebody had asked him to do, and he's got another one. The youngest, or, or the word could be the smallest, he's like, well, he's out keeping the sheep. So Samuel asked him to be brought, and then it turns out, as we know, that he's the one. We've not even heard his name yet, but he's the one. So he's the, he's the youngest. He's probably the smallest, so he's the absolute opposite of what Samuel was looking for. He's from a tiny little town called Bethlehem, which might be well known to some of us because it's where Jesus was born, but it is a nowhere place at this point. It becomes quite famous because it's where this guy's from. It's from a family that is not, uh, by no means poor. They seem to have quite a lot of them, and they've uh, been able to take most of them out of the field, so they've got some wealth, but they're not important. In fact, the bit I didn't read shows us that they're not important. They're not part of the elders of this little place. They're not part of the important people. Um, They're not who you'd expect. Youngest son, small guy, tiny town, unimportant family. In many ways, opposite of Saul, who was from a rich, important family. But God picks the unexpected. He picks the unexpected. And actually, he often works that way. Because he works that way with us. He picks the unexpected. It's not the things that we do, or the way that we manage to live our lives or sort of any good that we might manage to work up that at all affect how God feels about us, or affect who he chooses. Well, if we follow him, we know that because you know yourself and you know that you aren't with Jesus because of anything that you've done, 
In fact, if it was that he picked people who were expected, I certainly know that I, I wouldn't have got in. I imagine you, you can make that judgment for yourself, but you probably feel the same way. And actually, it, it carries on like that. Not just how we get in, but how we live our lives with Jesus. He continues to pick the unexpected. My finding purpose with God for myself, making a difference in the kingdom for him, turns out has very little to do with how good I am. Has very little to do with my, actually, in many ways, with my abilities. Certainly very little to do with anything you might look at outwardly. Nothing about how I look, how I might appear to act to others. God picks the unexpected, which actually, we'll look in a moment at why he picks David, but um, can be so helpful to us. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a place where you're, you sort of, you may be, maybe you feel God's asked you to do something, maybe not, but you're thinking about your relationship with God and you find yourself looking at other people. Maybe not literally, but you, you sort of compare yourself. And you kind of notice that they're a little bit taller than you, to use the kind of language Samuel was thinking about. Perhaps somebody that you look at seems to be more gifted than you in a particular area. Perhaps they seem to have abilities beyond the ones that you have in, in something. Perhaps they have more wisdom. Maybe they just look like a godly kind of person. You know, they, they seem to know their Bible a bit better. Or the way they pray so much more powerful than the way you seem to manage to. Or just their faith. The way they follow Jesus in their life. You, you wish you were like that. <coughs> I suspect we can all relate to at times feeling like there's someone who's just a little bit better. But God picks the unexpected. Now, if that's true, if it's true what, uh, what he says to Samuel, which is that he sees not as, the man, not as man sees, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. If that's true, then we don't need to compare ourselves because it's about what he sees, not about how I look compared to them. Hold that thought. You see, actually, this, this thing where God picks the unexpected turns out to be the pattern of the whole Bible. This book, 1 Samuel, and its, its sort of sequel to Samuel have this pattern in them where we started off right in the beginning. There was a guy called Eli who was the priest over Israel. His sons were terrible. But instead, this little lad, Samuel, who gets adopted into his family, unexpectedly becomes his replacement. And then in turn, Samuel's sons were terrible. And then sort of unexpectedly, they appoint a king, Saul, who comes and stands instead of Samuel's sons. And then, as we're beginning to get into the story and see, it's not Saul's son, Jonathan, who inherits after him, but this guy we're just meeting called David. Again, unexpectedly, God picks someone and he comes up and stands and becomes the leader. It's not just in... Uh, in 1 and 2 Samuel, where there's this sort of pattern. It's often, in fact, it's almost always the younger son that God picks. Just to pick a few characters out of the Bible, there's a guy called Jacob, who is sometimes called Israel. It's the guy who founded the nation of the people of God, who only got his position 
who was the youngest son, who wasn't going to inherit because he tricks his father. He's the youngest son. In fact, his father Isaac, also the youngest son, he had an older half-brother who, again, unexpected. Um, his parents didn't think they could ever have children, and then they're very old, and he's born to them. Or just to, to pick some, uh, I'm just picking people uh, kind of almost at random, but there's all sorts of characters in the Bible where this theme picks up. Um, the guy who leads Israel out of Egypt when they're in captivity called Moses. Again, the youngest son, a murderer who stuttered and couldn't really speak very well. How was he going to lead people? But he's the one that God chooses. Or um, a bit later in their history, there's a guy called Gideon who God is looking for someone to fight wars for him. So he goes and chooses the guy who's hiding in a hole and says to him, come on, mighty warrior, we've got some work to do. Or uh, perhaps most stunning, though we might not always catch it, is a lady called Ruth, who is um, David's great-grandmother, who comes from a different nation, the one most hated by Israel and most cursed by God, um, and yet finds herself added into the royal family because she's faithful and chooses to follow God. Time and time and time again, God picks unexpected people. In fact, pretty much every major character you could find in the Old Testament, unexpected, not who you'd think. The younger one, the weaker one, the one who's scared, always the one that God chooses and says, come on then, which I'm sure is because he likes to stack the odds against himself. Because he likes it when we notice that he's the one who's doing the work. God picks the unexpected. But why? Why does he pick David? Well, he says to Samuel that it's because he looks at the heart, not at his appearance. Which is... Phew. It's a little bit of a weight off. Because... If you look at the outside of me, then there's all sorts of, oh, I project a reasonably good image, but you don't have to look that long to see all sorts of mess and flaws and complications and confusions and weakness. And you think, thank goodness, I don't have to compare to someone else. I don't have to match up. He looks not at the outside, but at what I'm really like. And then you just wait for a beat and you think about that. Oh, my word. <laughs> he looks at what I'm really like. Because... I can project a moderately good external, and if that was all he looked at, I could maybe work on that and make it a bit better. But he looks at what I'm really like. Now, I don't know about you, but I suspect you're probably a bit similar to me. Your heart is a confusing place. It is a mixture of faith and mess, and often more mess than faith, depending on the day of the week. It is, it is not a place that you would think God would look at and say, I want him, I want her. Oh, that's the, that's the warrior who can do my bidding. That's the person who's going to make a difference in their home. That's the person who's going to make a difference in their workplace. That's the person who's going to make a difference on their street. You wouldn't think so. Because, well, my heart's a mess. Getting better, but a mess. I imagine yours is too, if you're honest with yourself. So that's... That's a little bit terrifying. So he looks at the heart, and that's why he picks this guy called David. So maybe I think, well, maybe if I look at what David's like, I might get an idea of what it is that God's looking for from my heart, and then, I don't know, maybe somehow I can get there. So as the story goes on through 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, we start to learn a little bit about what David's like. Let me tell you some things about David. He's a... Um, 
He's a serial womanizer who commits adultery multiple times. He, eventually that results in him becoming a murderer. As a king, he shows considerable favoritism to some parts of his kingdom, leading to a civil war. And one act of pride results in 70,000 people dying in three days. <laughs> and that's, that's the one that God picks when he looks at the heart. I don't get it. So what is he looking at? What is he looking at? How is that the one who God picks? We see there's two things about David that might help us. The first one is that David didn't look at his own heart. We see it revealed in some of the songs that he wrote. He knew that God wasn't choosing him actually based on what his heart was like. That God was choosing him based on someone else's heart. In fact, the only person that God ever found whose heart was clean and who God anointed king, who, the one who David called my king, who we know as Jesus. David knew he was coming. This is, David lived around about a thousand years before Jesus was born, but it, we can see in some of the things that he wrote, he knew he was coming. And he had so much hope for the day that he would arrive and wipe away the mess in his own life. So God could look at David's heart and accept it because David looked at the one whose heart was acceptable. And actually, that's the same for us. My heart is a complete mess. Now, I've not done any of the things that David did. Thank goodness. I doubt the opportunity, to be honest. In his position, maybe I would have done the same thing. I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't want to say I wouldn't have done. I hope not. But, um, but as I look to Jesus, the one whose heart is clean, who is anointed as my king, I find actually that Jesus accepts me. The Father accepts me, accepts my heart because of his heart. Someone prayed out in the worship about us being uh, kind of clothed in his clothes. It's the same kind of image. He accepts his heart instead of my heart. And the other thing we learn about David as we go on is he does all these things that are so much worse than Saul. So why is it that Saul's the one who gets rejected? Well, the big difference between them is that when he screws up and someone points that out to him, David feels broken and repents. And he turns to God and says, fix me. I'm a mess. He accepts what he's done wrong. He repents from it. And he tries to follow God again. He doesn't do particularly well a lot of the time. But he keeps on getting back up and walking. You see, God picks the unexpected, not the strong, but the weak. Not the ones who look great, but the ones who look to him. So... Are you weak? Do you feel that way? I know I often do. I feel like you can't get through the things that are in front of you. you. Can't manage to get through the day, maybe even, but certainly what God's perhaps called you to. And whether that's some, I don't know, great destiny, or whether that's being a faithful mother, faithful father, faithful wife or husband, telling your friend about Jesus, you just feel actually that, how will I do that? 
following him, obeying him. How will I do that? I'm so weak. Or maybe even you feel you've got this sort of confusion. You're like, could God really be asking me to do that? Well, some of you know this is literally what you're thinking. Could he really be asking me to do that? Because I'm, I'm a mess. My heart is not clean. Could he really be calling me to do that? I'm not tall. I'm not like them. Maybe they could do it, I don't know. <laughs> but maybe they could do it. But I'm not like that. I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability. don't have the gifting. Certainly don't have the character. How... How could I do that, Jesus? Let me, let me tell you how you can do that. In fact, again, to hark back to that, what Will prayed earlier, because when you stand before the Father, you don't stand in your own clothes. You stand in Jesus' clothes. God looks at you and he sees his heart. You are a daughter in the son. You are a son in the son. Which means that when God looks at you, you find that you have every right before the throne. You find that his love for you is complete and is the love that he has for Jesus. If you ever wonder how much love he had for Jesus, everything you see is an overflow of that. The Trinity, the God loves, uh, the Godhead, the three persons love each other so much that creation spilled out. When you feel like you can't do it, like, could he really be calling me to do that? Because why would he ask me? Well, you're a daughter in the sun. You're a son in the son. You know him intimately if you follow him. If you don't feel like that, you can. So why wouldn't he ask you? The one with all power and authority in his fist says, I love you. You're my little boy. You're my little girl. Why don't we come have some adventures? It's not, go and do this. You better get it right, which is how I often feel like it is, actually. I, if I'm honest with you, I imagine many of you do too, because you, you're kind of very aware of you, your own failures and your own insecurities. It's not that. It's, come on, I'm going to have some fun. Do you want to come watch? That's the tone of it when God says, go and do this. He's like, I'm going to do some fun stuff. You come along too. He's inviting us to come play, I suppose. Some of you really need to hear this today. Could God really be asking me to? I felt quite strongly a couple of weeks ago that actually verse 1 um, and what God says to Samuel is deeply prophetic for some of us. So Samuel has been, he's been grieving for Saul, which was not wrong. It was the right thing to do. He should be sad. God grieved. In fact, it says that, I think. Um... The Lord regretted that he made Saul over Israel. Yeah, the tone is that God grieved. Um, 
And then he says to him, after some period of time, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? Some of you are, I believe, are are grieving over maybe a person, but probably a situation or a dream that God's given you, and it's, it's it's not worked out, or it doesn't feel like it has. And today he would say to you, how long will you grieve over that? Fill your horn with oil and go. You know, if you're, if you're confused by things God is saying to you, if you're full of fear or you're doubting or you're in pain over a, a dream that slipped away and you think maybe you've kind of lost the purpose of God for your life, he would say to you, okay, fill your horn and go. Now's the time to, to get up. We've got some stuff to do. Because God picks the unexpected. The fact that you have disqualified yourself does not mean you are disqualified. He picks the unexpected. Well, would he, would he pick me? Yeah. Funnily enough, it's, his, it's actually the way he works. You look through the Bible, what do we learn? God picks people who can't do it and then gets them to do it anyway. So the fact that you feel disqualified is probably about the only qualification you need, actually. It's a good question. Fine. He's calling me to step up, perhaps, some of you. But how would I do that? How would I do that? I wonder how David felt. We've not actually even found his name yet in the text. The first time he's mentioned is in what I'm about to read. But I wonder how he felt. He's he's been out in the fields. He comes in. (laughs) All his brothers are there looking a bit grumpy because they've not been the one who's chosen. There's a big feast waiting. They're all waiting for him to get there. He arrives. This really old prophet who's terrifying. The last thing he did in Israel was chop a foreign king into pieces. (laughs) Which is why everyone's scared when he arrives. He's, a, he's an imposing figure. Looks at him, nods, and pours oil over his head. What's going on? Well, what happens? Verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Well, that might be a bit simple, but that's the answer. That's how David did it. Did he feel overwhelmed? Probably, yeah. Did he feel like God was picking the unexpected? Almost certainly. Was he full of insecurity? I don't know. It's a bit cocky as you read on, but probably. (laughs) He probably was. I imagine that's a bit of a front. But, so what happens? He receives the Spirit for, for two reasons. One, actually, as the promise, as the down payment on what's going to come, it's 10 years until David becomes king which is, I think, quite scary, actually. I will, I'm sure, look as we see his journey at the, his patience, his amazing patience with the promise of God. But the, the spirit to him is a promise from God to say, actually, this is true. And he receives it as power to act because it's not like those 10 years involved sitting around. Actually, they involve a lot of running away for his life um, and a lot, of, a lot of work and preparing himself for where he was going to get to. It's the same for us. The spirit is the promise of what's going to come. It actually is the down payment in our kingdom. We'll be kings in the age to come. And the spirit is the kind of promise that that will be true. But it's also the promise that when God speaks to us, we're not hearing nonsense. And it's power to act. He gifts us with what we need. 
He picks the unexpected, and then he enables them to do what he wants. What we're going to do now, the, the band are going to come. Um, we will sing, and then we'll create some space to pray for those of you who feel God speaking to you, because there will be some.